You're listening to Play on Words on CFUV 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the Husanich and Songhees territories of the Sanchothan and Lekwungen-speaking peoples, also known as Victoria. In Oliver Sacks' book, Musicophilia, he talks about something that happened to him in 1974. He couldn't sleep and was taking medication that made his dreams especially vivid. And he dreamt this song that, after waking, he couldn't get out of his head. I found something deeply disturbing and unpleasant about the music and longed for it to stop. I had a shower, a cup of coffee, went for a walk, shook my head, played a mazurka on the piano to no avail. The hateful, hallucinatory music continued unabated. Finally, I phoned a friend, Orlan Fox, and said that I was hearing songs that I could not stop. Songs that seemed to me full of melancholy and a sort of horror. The worst thing I added was that the songs were in German, a language I did not know. Orlan asked me to sing or hum some of the songs. I did so, and there was a long pause. Have you abandoned some of your young patients, he asked, or destroyed some of your literary children? Both, I answered. Yesterday, I resigned from the children's unit at the hospital where I'd been working, and I burned a book of essays I had written. How did you guess? Your mind is playing Mahler's Kinder Toten Lieder, he said, his song of mourning for the death of children. I was amazed by this, for I rather dislike Mahler's music and would normally find it quite difficult to remember in detail, let alone sing any of his kinder taught and leader. But here, my dreaming mind, with infallible precision, came up with an appropriate symbol of the previous day's events, and in the moment that Orlan interpreted the dream, the music disappeared. It has never reoccurred in the 30 years since. In that book, Sachs, who was a neuroscientist, talks about all these different conditions where people were affected by music in surprising ways, like people who suddenly gain or lose a musical ability after an accident. This man was struck by lightning and then became a skilled pianist. And people that hear bashing pots and pans when they hear the sounds of a symphony orchestra, which is a condition called amusia. People with synesthesia who associate colors and images with musical notes, and people who can remember pages and pages of text verbatim as long as it's set to music. A woman with this condition was accused of cheating on a test because her words exactly matched her professor's notes, until she demonstrated her ability. So, music affects human brains in very mysterious and unexplained ways. On this episode of Play on Words, we're exploring music therapy and the ways that music can be a tool for healing. Um, if you want to get kind of like metaphysical with it, I guess something I think is really amazing is that, um, you know, sound is the compression and expansion of air molecules. Like that's what's happening. So when you're making a sound, 
the air around you is reacting and moving and like we're surrounded by air and we're breathing air in and we're hearing it and like it's like that's like affecting our bodies on such a fundamental level um and so like sound is almost like this form of kind of touch it almost feels like to me at least that's ryan cavan she's a second year contemporary music student at the victoria conservatory of music once she's finished school she hopes to go on to study music therapy I think there's something really cool about like the theory of music and um, why like songs are structured the way they are and how they um, speak to people and like the emotional journey that you go on through a song. Cause a lot of the time, so you have, um, there's some like really, I guess, um, traditional harmonic patterns that get used. And um, so you start on like a, there's like a one to eight of a scale, right? And you stand, it's a key that you're in. And so the most like often used and traditional thing is like you start on the one, you go to the four, you go to the five, and then you go back to the one and, and it builds this kind of cadence and then you come back. Uh, and I was having this discussion with somebody and she was talking about how, you know, in a song, it's kind of like you go and you go on this journey, but then you get to come home. And so it gives you this sense of like closure and songs do that for the most part. They end on the same note that they started on and you go through this whole journey of something. The connection between music and emotion might seem obvious, but it goes so much deeper than you might think. You know, I was singing with a voice teacher a few years ago and I was actually singing classical music. Um, and there is this really crazy intense part and it just gets higher and higher and higher and I couldn't get it um and I couldn't get the note with my voice um and uh my teacher and I were talking about it and she's like it's just like it's it's like it's so passionate and so sad and so afraid it's just like you can't stop saying it, you can't stop feeling it and so I, I kind of had to like think about my own experiences in my life and moments where I felt that way and like people that had made me feel that way um and as I did it like then we did it again and this sound came out that I'd never made before um vocally and had this huge vocal breakthrough but also then like had all of these tears come up and all of these things come up um and that was a big moment for me in realizing, like, that, you know, somebody who wrote a song 300 years ago in Italy had just helped me to deal with some of my own feelings about something that had happened, you know, seven years ago that was really hard. Um, and that's incredible to me that somebody wrote something that long ago that is still helping people and making people feel things and, you know, forcing you to work through your stuff. Anyone I talk to who especially sings classical music will tell you, like, the more you, like, sing, the more you have to understand yourself. <laughs> You know, about a year later, I was singing another piece, again, classical, and um, it's this German piece called Aller Zelen, which is a, a song about um, the Day of the Dead. And there's this line where it's like, um, you know, one day a year, indeed the dead are free, so come to my heart that I may have you again, like once in May. 
And again, it was that same thing where I was like, I couldn't get the note and I couldn't do the thing. And, um, and I had this, this teacher, I was in a master class and she was talking about the day of the dead and talking about being with people you love that you've lost. And, um, so, you know, I thought about, I ended up thinking about my grandmother and was thinking about her while I was singing this song and imagining just being with her again and like holding her close and all of these things and these really beautiful images and German harmonies was just like stunning. Um, and the same thing happened. It was like, I finally got the note and it was great. And then I cried and couldn't stop crying for a really long time. So like for me, at least like it's, it's so like deep in my body that a lot of the time, like I'll have to cry through the music that I'm singing before I can sing it properly. And I often find when I'm writing music, whether it's a happy song or a sad song or an angry song, like there will be like tears that come up with the song. And, um, and I have to go through those things by myself before I can perform that music. Even if you're not a music student and future music therapist, you've probably had an experience where you've been overcome by music. There are so many people who need to go home at the end of the day and like put on a song when they're feeling a certain way. And, um, and I think what's something that I think is really cool is that it often really transcends language. Like, you know, those songs that helped me work through feelings that I cried through and stuff that were classical were in Italian and German. And I, you know, have sung them and seen people cry to that music who don't understand German. And it's just like, there's something about the feeling of the harmony and how it builds and how it moves. Like, you know that that song is sad. You know that that song is fearful. Like, you understand that. And the lyrics of a song can be powerful, but often it's the quality of the actual music and melody that are the most moving. Um, I had a friend who once borrowed my car and I had a French CD in my car and she was on her way to break up with this guy and uh she was listening to this one song on repeat just over and over and over again um and so we got in my car another time and she was like yeah I couldn't stop listening to this song on my way to you know break up with this guy and the words to the song are like I don't know what to say anymore it's finished get dressed um she doesn't speak French she doesn't know that but like (laughs) it's just like yeah all of those feelings come through no matter what And like, if you want to get into like the science of it and stuff, like it's the way that the sound waves are vibrating together that create different feelings. Like, you know, if you play a certain set of three notes at once, followed by another certain set of three notes, you can feel uplifted. Or if you, you know, play a different set of notes, you can feel anxious. Um, And that's all just based on Again, like back to that kind of weird metaphysical thing that I was talking about before, like the way that the sound waves are vibrating um, make your body feel different things and and like make your mind think different things. And, you know, for me, singing is a really big thing. And if you think about it from that perspective, singing like is like you're changing the shape of the molecules in the air based on how you're feeling. So like this like sound is coming out of your body or coming out of your hands when you're hitting the drums and like that's changing the air around you to reflect your emotions, which is such a powerful thing. Um, and, you know, humans have been communicating through music and drums and singing for 
as long as I think humans have existed. You know, indigenous peoples of Canada use drums and singing for thousands of years, and indigenous people in Africa were using, you know, drumming and singing and calling and those kind of things. And like the ways and techniques in which we've done it have been different and shaped by so many different cultural discoveries, but everybody creates music and everybody, you know, the Greeks used to pray through music and they would um, all drink wine and have the lyre playing and they would like worship in these ways and it would be really ecstatic and beautiful. And it's like, we've been using music to get to this place for thousands upon thousands of years. Um, so now people are studying that and trying to harness it and using it in a therapeutic way to build skills or to help people who are sick. Um, and I think that's really amazing. It's because music is so evocative and so affecting that it's such an effective therapeutic tool. Music therapy is a huge field, and it can take a lot of different forms. I watched this talk with a music therapist once, and she was telling this story of this man who was in shock from um, a burn, and his heart rate was going up and up and up, and like was going to be going into cardiac arrest, it looked like, because his uh, body was in such a state of crisis. And what she did is she matched her guitar playing to the rhythm of his heartbeat and then slowly slowed her guitar playing down while singing a song, um, like something really gentle and slowed it down and slowed it down. And his heart rate came down with the music. There's like palliative music therapy, kids who are on the autism spectrum or like seniors who have lost the power of speech or stroke victims, you know, working in seniors homes and stuff, kids with Down syndrome, kids who have experienced trauma. I know somebody who like works with a whole bunch of men in their like 40s, giving a tool for communication. All of us recognize that feeling of hearing a song that belongs to a time in our life and immediately feeling like we're back there. And she'll write songs with them and play music with them and sing songs with them um, to help them deal with their grief in like a safe and fun way. Dissecting song lyrics and singing songs together and working through music to help people come to terms with the fact that their life is ending. You would just play piano. Uh, during like a group and using that to help people remember who they are now. And everyone would talk about their feelings and he would just play piano, like play a bunch of songs from a certain era for a group of people and they'll all sing along and it will help them like bring up memories and that kind of thing so that they can build like impulse control and like such a beautiful way to help somebody transition. And he plays a bunch of classic rock songs and they all just sing them out together and get like real angry and whatever and they just have like a safe space to express that and then they chat afterwards and um there's like a million ways in which like music can be used to help people which i think is so incredible because like how isolating is it to not be able to like speak to somebody and you know you can develop those skills through those things but you're you're communicating already through through something else and I think it's it's so important to give everybody that opportunity to express how they're feeling whether or not they have a grasp on language or speech or anything like that. Um, I guess the one thing that I think is really important is that um, I genuinely believe that everybody should be singing and playing music um, in whatever capacity that is, whether it's like 
getting a ukulele and learning your favorite pop song because ukuleles are not that hard to learn. Um, or, you know, singing along in the radio, but nothing makes me sadder than when people tell me that they can't sing. Um, and I don't think that there's many things that are better for you than, than singing. Um, and I just think that everybody should be doing it. So we took a trip to the Victoria Conservatory of Music to learn how music therapy actually works. My name is uh, Joanne Brodeur, and I'm the department head of the music therapy department at the Victoria Conservatory of Music. So the program started, uh, like I said, almost 30 years ago with one person. Um, every week, this gentleman used to come. And now we have 1,900 every week that comes to music therapy. And this gentleman who started is still coming once a week. Joanne launched the music therapy program at VCM, and she specializes in pediatric music therapy. Since music therapy can mean so many things, each therapist must have a special demographic of expertise in order to effectively treat their participants. So music therapy is the way we use music as a therapeutic tool for a different reason. And one of them would be to develop some skills. And I'll give you an example of this. So a child who comes here and the child has, you know, cognitive challenges. Um, the child has uh, developmental delays and it needs to be at par with their peers when he enter a kindergarten. So it's about two years old right now. He comes to me, very little speech, no communication model, difficulty in attending, following directions, uh, difficulty with motor skills. So to be able to draw, to be able to follow direction, to come and sit down, to listen to the instruction, all this is very difficult. So my job is to really help this child to enter kindergarten and to be as close as possible uh, at part with his peers at the time where he will enter kindergarten. So all the activities are designed to have great fun, you know, to be active sometimes, but also to uh, increase all the skills I, I just mentioned. So if I take the big bass drum and I play, you know, and I put it beside the child and he just bang away. So the first step is for me to play the piano and to follow his beat. And so often I see the parents or the caregiver, they say, oh, I didn't know my child had so much good rhythm. But in fact, it's me following the child. It's not the child following me because he's not at that time, at the, you know, at that point right now. So we just play together. This is goal number one. We're playing together. Yes. You know, give me a high five. Excellent. Next game. One of the most impactful influences of music therapy is its ability to help participants develop and increase their self-esteem. Why any of us succeed in life is really due to self-esteem. People think, oh, they're more intelligent or they're more fortunate, but that's not true. So it's just crucial to really develop that self-esteem to allow our participants to be able to take risk and to welcome the risk, you know, to Obviously, you understand what kind of risk, you know, the risk to, to speak, the risk to uh, play, to try to play, you know, the, uh, to try something new, to explore new instruments. So that will just make them stronger individual and better part of our community. The first goal of music therapy is to develop skills and then to maintain and access those skills. So let's take somebody with uh, dementia. So the memories are in your head. And it's not because they're gone. It's because you can no longer access them. So because music therapy uses both sides of the brain, we are able to make connection and access those memories. 
So if you really know the person or get to know the person and know the person is 80 years old, so 60 years ago, what kind of music they like? Are they from here? Are they from Germany? Are they from, you know, uh, China? What kind of music were they listening to? What was important event in their life at the time? You know, did they get married? Uh, did they, you know, something that impacts their life, right? And then you, you find that music by discussing this with the family, by doing research, by, you know, just trying to figure out what were they listening at the time and then you play them that music and it's incredible to see the brain connection so somebody who's quite aloof and quite withdrawn um of 80 years old and un unable to know who you are you know are you my son my daughter my wife i have no idea who you are you know and they may or may not have any aggressive behavior they might be quite you know pleasant but totally oblivious to all the details of their past life and of, of the current life and what's happening. You put the music that is really relevant to them and suddenly the connection, just the wire just lit up in your brain. And that person will start to sing the song, tap their feet and will look at, do you remember when we used to go out? Then they realize that, oh, you're my son. Or, you know, like you're my wife or something. And suddenly they make all kind of different connections. And for that moment, um, the families, the friends of that person are just like, you know, they have this person back. Music's capacity to engage and invigorate the human body and mind is something well known. Music therapy utilizes that effect to treat a variety of issues. So uh, Marie Slade, one of our therapists, did a research study at Luther Court and she replaced um, antipsychotic medication with music with iPods, and the success was incredible, over 90%. But it's important to remember that music is not some magical healer. It takes the guidance of a trained music therapist who knows how to use the right music for an individual's specific needs. It's not good enough to put an iPod and, you know, the headphones to the person and then think that this will make a miracle. The intervention with the therapist is person to person, and this is really, really important. So this would be more to um, maintain and access skills. Now, the third part would be to support, for example, um, and to support uh, in a way of a loss. And it can be end-of-life care. Uh, the journey at the end. It can be for the person or it can be for the family and their friends, for the schoolmates and so on. But it can also be for somebody who lost something. Uh, somebody, I had a youth that came here and he had a car accident. Uh, he was hit by a, a drunk driver. Uh, so he lost all his skills, you know, everything. And nobody really knew what he could understand or see. It was impossible to really uh, test for that because, you know, like he was just, he was all strapped in his chair, nothing was moving, no sound was going. And I asked um, the family at the time, I said, why are you actually um, coming to music therapy? You know, I'm just curious, you know, what it is that uh, really makes you uh, wanting to come to music therapy? And they said that uh, this gentleman, this youth was a fine musician and he liked jazz. And I said, oh, so I started to play and sing just to see if there was any reaction. And there was, you know, none. Uh, Try different music. So then I said, what instruments did he play? And he said he would play the piano. So then I wheel him beside the piano. And uh, I took his hand and I put it on top of my hand. And I said, okay, I'll call him John. I said, okay, John, you and I are going to play jazz. And we start to play. And, you know, his hands was really 
it, it was just following my hands, you know, he has absolutely no movements, and he started to cry. So it was quite so powerful to know that, okay, he understands a lot more than we can test for and we can assume. The Victoria Conservatory of Music defines music therapy as the skillful use of music as a therapeutic tool to restore, maintain, and improve mental, physical, and emotional health. The nonverbal, creative, and effective nature of music facilitates contact, learning, self-expression, communication, and growth. Lyndon and I were lucky enough to have Joanne take us on a tour of the music therapy facilities at VCM, where she showed us a few tools out of the vast collection of instruments that have been adapted to be used by people with any range of ability and need. The instruments are also uh, part of our everyday life. You can see all the instruments we have around here. And uh, the instruments are, you know, we have similar instruments, all the therapists, but it's the way we use them. So maybe I'll go around the room and I'll show you some things and um, just to show you how it works, to give you an idea. Would you like that? So um, let's see the chimes, for example. Joanne walked us over to a set of several chimes and picked one of them up, lightly caressing the copper, creating a gentle jingle. So what would I do with the chimes? I will start to put them gently on their hands. So what I will do, I will do it with you, Katie. Is that okay? So she took my hand, and I played the role of a participant with minimal hand dexterity. Socks off, so you can really feel it. So it's very cold. So then I will tell them it's very, very cold, and it's made out of metal, and it sounds like this. And then I will take their hands, and I will just make them touch it. She wasn't exaggerating. The metal was very cold against my skin. That paired with the high-pitched yet gentle jingle of the chimes in my ears created an elating sensation of awe. Just to see what it's like. And then I will see if there's any. So over the weeks and the months that we're playing, then I will wait for a response. So if I say, here are the chimes, they're right in front of you. You know, I said, show me what you can do. And then slowly they start to use them. You know, so it's very nice. Same thing with your feet. Next, she took us over to a gong. (laughs) Another one I'll show you is the gong. The gong is very sensory. Um, I'm just going to go get a mallet. Sorry about that. So the gong is really, really... So there's a lot of sensory equipment here just to make a connection with the person so or to calm them. So let's say I play the gong. So it's really vibrate. So if you put your finger on it really, really gently after I touch it, you'll see how much it vibrate. Okay. Again, I am overwhelmed by the experience of both the sound and sensation created by the instrument. The gong sends intense waves of vibration from my index finger throughout the rest of my body, creating a tangible representation of sound. It really does. And the sound, you know, all the frequency and the vibration just go all through you, right? So then what happens is that I will hold somebody's hands and I would... I would just gently do that. And I can feel it through my hands, actually. Mm-hmm. So it's just like all this uh, powerful frequency. I'll show you another drum. This drum also has... This one also has a lot, a lot of energy and a lot of vibration. So I'll start it far. She held the drum up and moved it closer and closer towards me, and then orbited around my head. I felt the intensity of the vibrations increase and shift as the placement of the drum changed. This activity allows someone of any ability or age to experience the physical presence of sound.
Next, we walked over to a large cabinet in the corner of the room. Joanne excitedly opened it and began to rifle through a big box of objects, explaining how they are used in sessions. What else can I do? I'll show you this one. First, she pulled out a colorful circular pad that, when pressed, let out a sound similar to an accordion. And the pads is to teach children how to walk. So when you go on them, it's air bass. <laughs> they make sound. So then the children, I had a little boy who couldn't see from the nose down. And he had a helmet and he was always tripping. So I put the pads around and I said, put your bumpers up, your bumpers with your foot. Find the steps, step on them and play. I go to the piano and then, some, you know, it's always a caregiver and or I will hold them hands. And then they would walk up and down trying to find the pads. Music therapy has so many different forms and styles because it needs to be able to adapt to the specific needs of each participant. Whatever we do in music therapy should influence in one way or another the day-to-day life of that person. Otherwise, you don't succeed. You know, you cannot just do something here and not be able to do it outside of this room, right? That would make no sense, right? So this is the paddle drum. And uh, there's so much thing, I don't know what to show you. <laughs> like this is like, you know, everybody knows parachute and ribbons dancing. This is an octoband. She pulls out a large, colorful tarp like one you would play with when you were in elementary school, where you would all hold it up and make waves and take turns running underneath, except it has dangling ends like octopus legs. So this is like an octopus. And then we put music on and everybody grabs, you know, one or two, depending how many we are. You can put them in your hands or you can just grab them. So you can put them like this to help you to help them. We tie them to wheelchairs, you know, and then we just go up and down and sideways and close and far and so on. And we do all kind of movement with this octoband. So it requires team buildings. So I see some young uh, group of children and this is really good. We have to work all together, guys. Or we put a middle, you know, a ball in the middle of this octopus, right? And we have to play and make sure the ball stays on there, right? So, or one goes up, one goes down. You know, we take turns to do patterns. Music has so many ways of manifesting in our lives through voice, touch, vibration, sound. Through the small glimpse we were able to take, we were exposed to how endless the potential for music as a tool for therapy is. And that potential is extended by the use of adapted tools to help people of differing abilities to use instruments they otherwise can't. Okay, next cupboard. <laughs> I cannot show you everything, but I'll show you just a little bit. Lots of bells. Oh, I'll show you this one. So adapted equipment. So if I give you the guitar or the ukulele, you might think, how can I play this? I have no hand use. I have got no fine motor, no grasping. So what we do is that we have some picks, adapted picks. So you can, so you hold it like that. She handed me a regular guitar pick that had been attached to the end of a thick wooden stick, which made it easier to hold and use. We have to adapt the pick because the, the pick is too difficult. They might be, um, you know, resisting to touch the string. They might not have any strength to plug the string. So a lot of the string are nylons as opposed to, you know, metal string, uh, regular string, because they um, the nylon is not as hard on fingers. I know that the guitar and the string department here don't think my strings are very good. <laughs> but I mean, but for who we're working with, it's a necessity. Yeah. So it's always to think outside of the box because, you, you know, like at first you have no idea what's going to work and how you're going to make it work. 
but it's not the idea to take the hand of the participants and to play for them. We don't do that. We might assist to demonstrate. We might hold down to the elbow and just wait, play the chimes, and then they're not moving, so we just wait. And even in five minutes, that's all they do. Just one time they play, we're going to praise them to the hilt. That was beautiful. Um, so anyway, there's so many ways to adapt the instruments, but that gives you a little idea of what we have to do. <laughs> uh, tons and tons of instruments, but I will show you the best instrument in the world. <laughs> the next instrument was one of my favorite things that Joanne shared with us, the sound beam. This is called sound beam. Have you sound heard of the beam. sound beam? No. Okay, the sound beam transform uh, movements into sounds through ultrasonic ray. So I'll show you. So I'll uh, let me just put the sound on a little bit. Okay. The sound beam is a touch-free device that uses sensor technology to translate body movement into music and sound. The sensor looks like a large flashlight, and when aimed at a moving body part, the movement is detected and sound is created. This gives anyone the power to create music. Because it's like a, it's like a. And this gives participants opportunities to play music in an incredibly unique way. Quite good. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> so then we have all. So then uh, that we can, you know, there's unlimited. Any sound can yeah. be programmed, and then there's pad. If they rather have a pad, so, so and this accessible. One. So accessible. Yeah. So I have a young person who plays with her eyes. She's visually impaired, but she can open and close her eyes. And at first it was. Open your eyes, Katie. Open your eyes. And then she would open them. And, I, and then to make the calls you know, in effect that she understands that she is actually playing the drums or whatever instruments with her eyes. And she likes, uh, she likes uh, big brass instruments. So then she would open and then there would be nothing. And I'll have the beam right there waiting for her to move her eyes. Right? And she'll move the same thing. Yes! You know? And now she opens her eyes and she moves her eyes all over the place, right? And then she, I say, play with your eyes, play with your eyes. And she play with her eyes. It's so beautiful. And when she gets tired, she just close her eyes. I said, well done. Another key element of what makes music therapy so effective is the focus on playing music. The act of playing reduces stress and creates a positive environment for those who may be suffering or excluded from other forms of play. And it's also, you know, like usually all those participants are in hospital setting. They go to medical uh, appointments, you know. Uh, but here, they come to music school. So when they come in, they come in at the same time as the violinist come, or the harpist, or the trombone player. And then, you know, the, and then they can hear the opera. They can hear the organ playing. They, some of them walk up and down the hall. I've got a little boy, and he was really curious about all the sounds he could hear, but he was afraid to go on the hall. So I put him in the parachute, and I wrap it up in the parachute, and I drag the parachute around the hall. I said, we're going in the elevator, and I drag. And it was really funny to talk to this little guy in the parachute and just to listen. And sometimes if I knew the person, I would knock gently, open the door, and I would say, this is my friend. I wouldn't say his name. And I said, like, we just want to listen. And then I will crouch down and explain what we were listening to or and I said, do you have enough? Yes, okay, thank you, all done. And they would go to the next door. <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah, that's so cool. But I've got a really, really nice room I want to show you. Mm -hmm. Do you have the time to yeah. see it? Okay. Our final stop on the tour of the Victoria Conservatory of Music was the multi-sensory studio, or the magic quiet room, 
as many of the participants call it. So you can this is insane. <laughs> so, so cool. So uh, the multi studio was built uh, at first for children who are medically fragile because they need a lot of sensory input. And I used to close my piano, the grand piano, you can close it, and it becomes kind of a wooden kind of surface. And the children would lie down on there and feel all the vibration. So I would play standing up and singing, so my voice would bounce on the piano board and then just go up to them. So there would be like an envelope of vibration to them. And a lot of the time they would start to um, to say some of the sounds like, oh, and I would match that with a sound, you know, with a chord or a melody or something. And we'll start to have those nonverbal kind of communication or the child will start to move looking for the sound because they felt the vibration all throughout their bodies. So I said, what can we do to really help those children? So we asked Inez Holm, who's the principal designer with The Sky's the Limit, and she donated her time uh, to design this room and... Uh, we bought the material, but she put a team together of painters, uh, tile layers, uh, plumber, artists, and so on to design this room, and everybody works for free. The room that Joanne is describing is a small but very magical room on the bottom floor of the conservatory. As we entered the room, I didn't know where to focus my attention first. There was a huge tree in the corner of the room, fiber optic lights cascading over the ceiling, and a large tube of water at the back of the room which turned out to be a light-up bubble machine that looked kind of like a giant lava lamp. And in the center of the room, a large recliner chair facing a flat-screen TV. So that's how we build this room. And now it's used for people with anxiety, adult, elders, you know, like with a wide variety of needs. Uh, and if I had a little boy, for example, last week he came and he was really clingy and uh, with his grandmother and he just, you know, he was out of sorts, something was not working out. And I said, I think we should try to go to the magic quiet room downstairs. And he's never, never been here. I tried to bring them in here before they have a need. So it's not all new. But this time I never came here with this little one. And uh, we spent half an hour in here. And at, when he left, he was a different person. Because they can regain control. So I'm going to go around the room. Let me just turn on the... Um... Everything in the room was curated to help alleviate stress. Joanne invited me to sit in the recliner at the center of the room to have the full experience. Calming classical music played behind a video of nature scenes on the television in front of me, and Joanne laid a weighted blanket on top of me and reclined the chair all the way back so I was facing the ceiling, lit up like the night sky. 30 minutes like this and calm, can listen to music, sometimes we can be here playing. You know, the flute, the guitar, the violin. This one's because you get the, um, the vibration. Can you feel a little bit the vibration? Yes. And then you get the fiber optics that are right there for you. So it's really, it's totally, a, you know, completely, completely multi-sensory experience. The presence of the large tree in the corner, paired with the white noise of the bubble machine, were relaxing and comforting. While I laid on the chair, Joanne brought some of the dangling lights close to me to interact with. Um... So, see if you touch on those. So, it's sensory, very sensory. Mm -hmm. So, this is visual, auditory, tactile. Every All the sense has to be, you know, um, sensory processing some information. So, then, even if you have visual impairment, you might not have 100% of visual impairment. So, there's so much. So, all the... Um, 
all the sense have to be active here, sometimes more passively than upstairs in the studios, but also in a way that they will input the information and it will make a transformation for them, uh, release some anxiety, um, accept some of the frequency, some of the movements, you know, feeling. After our tour of the facility, I felt like music therapy might be the answer to all our problems. From anxiety and self-esteem to memory and cognitive challenges, music therapy can help people to manage their difficulties and enjoy life. To see music therapy in action, we were invited to sit in on an actual music therapy session with music therapist Alan Slade and one of his participants, Ivan. Ivan is 16 years old and uses music therapy to help navigate the cognitive and social challenges that go along with being on the autism spectrum. Because of his autism, he needs support for many of his daily activities. He lives with his caregiver, John, on weekdays, who was at the session with us. Ivan enjoys playing the piano, and his music therapist, Alan, tells us that he has shown great skill in it. Alan has enjoyed seeing Ivan improve over the past yeah, few years through their sessions. So Ivan, could you show me some of the scales and warm-ups we did last time with your fingers? Because yes. you can see here's our, this is what we're doing today, All right? So we're going to run our finger warm up here. Yeah. Okay. So do you remember some of the scales and the arpeggios we looked at last time? Yes. Could you play one for me? Music therapy is structured um, in a way that I don't do anything else. So, so what I understand about music therapy is it cross-connects both sides of the brain, and it, it, it brings life and joy. My hope is, is that when he's 19, he'll be able to continue playing the piano for the rest of his life. So bringing music into his life, and he is amazing. He's found this guy. I've had other people who really just come to bang a drum or to play one of the switches because there's an awful lot of really individual and interesting devices but Ivan has a real clear musical talent and so I think this is one of his savants um, so that for him it's it's going to be a lifelong experience we have two pianos at home and he, he's learning to play outside of this location which is hard for him but really going to be great that's John Ivan's foster parent we spoke with him during Ivan's session about why they use music therapy with Ivan and how he has grown over the past seven years of working with Alan at the conservatory. It's about communication. Ivan's communication has changed probably five, six hundred percent since he's come here. Um, and I'm convinced. I'm, I'm always one of the person at all the meetings, at all the... Uh, tables that music therapy's got to stay. We've got to put the money behind music therapy because I'm convinced so, it's so the answer. Sure so, so I'm a good poster child for that. John has been bringing participants to music therapy since Joanne began the program about 30 years ago. Everyone I've ever known who comes, this is one of the, one of the highlights. It certainly surpasses McDonald's. <laughs> so that's what you want. You want to have those great things in your life. It doesn't come cheap, but it's worth the investment for sure. Yeah. Music washes away from the soul the dust of everyday life. It's just so perfect because the person who you saw leave before us 
doesn't really communicate with words, uses sounds mostly, and gets something very different out of coming here. But very, his experience is just as rich as this experience. And so it's nice, like Alan has the ability to, to give experiences at all those varying levels. And as a community support worker, that's really important because I care for people who have varying abilities. I asked John what the difference between a regular piano lesson and Ivan's music therapy session was. And he explained that at this point for Ivan, there is almost no difference. Alan has been able to work with Ivan to get him to a level where he has surpassed many others. And other than the fact that Alan is a music therapist and knows how to cater to Ivan's specific needs, there really isn't that much of a difference. Right. Well, and that's mostly because Ivan's success is getting so great. Um, and Alan teaches to where he is so well. But when we started and we didn't have piano, we would come in and use xylophone. Um, we would use the drums. We would use the switches in that blue case over there. There's eight switches and every switch has an instrument attached to it. And so, it, and I've come with my kids from school. So it doesn't matter if you're in a chair and all you can do is hit your switch. You do there and your switch plays music. So those kinds of situations look more like music therapy. We've actually spoken about the possibility before Ivan turns 19 that he may want to move to a more advanced just piano teacher because of his talent. Alan's mentioned that, so uh, amazing. But Alan has clients who perform at Herman's Jazz Club who come here and perform at Herman's Jazz Club. So it's kind of like, it's pretty amazing. But he's, he's so gifted. So I feel honored to be here. Yeah, we're lucky. And then Ivan takes it home with him. And so he plays the piano in the morning before he gets on the bus. He'll play the piano in the afternoon. We wake, I wake up on Saturday morning to listening to those scales in my garden or in my house. It's really magic. Yeah, yeah. Well, and because he's invested in it and it's his worth, it's his, it's, it's why I garden. That's why I eat chocolate. It's, it, this is part of who he is, and he, he loves it. And in his life, it's hard to find natural things for him that he's interested in and good at and can do for more than just a really short period of time. So, And because he's mostly nonverbal, it's a language that he can be as fulfilling in as, like, he's now doing, will do almost what anyone else will do. And that could never happen yet, um, possibly ever. But that couldn't happen now verbally because it just doesn't come in receptive and it's not there. So this puts them on a level playing fields, you know, piano to piano. One thing that does set Ivan apart from other pianists is that he has perfect pitch. Alan had Ivan share his talent with us by having him face away from the piano and guessing what note Alan was playing, only using his ears. So, Ivan, can you go, you know, stand up by John, go stand up by John there, okay? And, and can you look at the clock? And can you tell me what note I'm playing? Okay, Ivan, are you ready? Say it again. E. Good job. How about this one? E flat. How about this one? E. Perfect. How about this one? How about this one? E sharp. Good job. How about this one? D. It, it, it's, it is truly incredible. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. How about this one? Yeah. yeah. 
this one. C. Good job. And here's a tricky one. F. F sharp. F sharp. It's not F sharp. You're pretty good. Bang on, Ivan. That was great and so fast. Like just. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We realized he had like. Because of this, Alan has been able to adapt to Ivan's skill set and uses his voice to help Ivan learn songs because he's more comfortable using his ears to hear notes than his eyes to read them. the music notes yeah. which is why Alan was singing the music the melody oh, so when he was going through he's finding it he's finding it by Alan's voice not by the notes yeah you couldn't see that from behind and that's that's the gift which is why Alan sings so Alan produces CDs from what we do here and we take those CDs home and Ivan plays along with the CDs he's just starting now to play without the CDs with this big, big fake book but it's been it's been a huge road and, and it's been a lot of investigative creative because yeah. Alan's never produced CDs to send home and we didn't know how to get him to play at home. And it was important. Yeah. This is such a great song. Sitting in on Ivan's music therapy session illuminated how dynamic music is as a tool for healing. Music therapy looks different for every participant because it focuses on their specific needs and skills. He has able to hear pitch, and it's easier for him than to read yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. Really encouraging to read, and he's getting it as far as chord changes and all that. But yeah, he is so pitch-oriented. He can just hear it so well. It's just a quicker way to teach. And he learns it, and he sticks with it, gets excited. You know, I think if he had to look at the book and the music all the time, that would discourage him. You know, you just wouldn't, you know, whereas he can instantly play it and get up and running if he has me singing or playing. So. So that's what we learn. But we still, he's still reading the chart. He's still, you know, getting to read it, which is very important. Yeah. It's kind of surprising that we have 1,900 participants that were part of the conservatory and that people don't know we exist. I always find this mind-boggling. But I said, like, really? I said, like, we've been here, like, for almost 40 years and uh, in the music therapy department. So... Um, and some people don't even know that this is the conservatory. And the conservatory is much more than only classical music. We have the contemporary side, you know, the theory side, the composition side. All the instruments played in different ways, you know, like from jazz to classical. I think there was a misconception at the time that the conservatory was for gifted classical musicians. We do have those, but we also have tons of people who just enjoy classical music or just train classical music, as well as contemporary rock, you know, world music. Uh, electronic music, everything. So um, I think it's, and music therapy is a big part of the conservatory. And so we make sure that the, conserv the conservatory is actually accessible to all and to all with different abilities. And that's the mandate. We'd like to give a special thanks to everyone featured on this episode of Play on Words. To Ryan for sharing her knowledge and stories, to Joanne for her tour of the Victoria Conservatory of Music, and to Alan, John, and Ivan for allowing us to sit in on their session. To learn more about music therapy, check out the music therapy program on the Victoria Conservatory of Music's website.
This episode of Play on Words was produced by me, Katie Denslow, with help from Lyndon Sayers, Sarah Solman, and Reese Huber. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. Play on Words is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the BC Gaming Society. If you like what you heard, tune in next week and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, check out All Access's episode on opera called Old Italian People Singing. Hey, give me your ear. Let's, uh, let's pull back the curtain for a minute and check out behind the scenes of CFUV's podcasts. Um, hi, my name is Katie Denslow, and I'm the producer of Play on Words here at CFUV 101.9 FM. And I have had so much fun working on the podcast, creating a story and producing the episode in a way that I think has been able to allow the listener to go on that journey with us of discovery and questioning. And I think anyone who listens to the podcast will find they get something different from it. And that's something that I think is really cool about the experimental aspect of it is being able to play with how a story is told even and with podcasts specifically, sound being such an integral element of how that story is told and playing with that is something that I've really, really enjoyed. I think one of the things that I've enjoyed learning the most is how much I personally, at least, have ignored the sense of sound and listening and hearing in my life. And this has really allowed me to investigate that area of my being. And I think I have gained such a greater appreciation for how sound impacts myself and everyone, I would say. And it's so cool to tell a story through just sound. And there's so many different ways of doing so. And there's so many different ways of impacting a listener through sound, which is something that I've found so interesting. And again, with Play on Words being an experimental podcast, it's been so fun to play with sound and play on words. <laughs> we really, really, I think, got really playful and got weird. And it was uh, really interesting and fun. Mm-hmm.